This has always been my kind of power. Rugged. Mighty, powerful, big, sprawling. Fog, smog, and a good quantity of consumed grog. <laughs> a real mess. Well, we really fucked up. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, we should not have named names. Things have gone disastrously since uh, that episode came out. <laughs> um, we started digging into Hollywood's uh, seedy underbelly and... Uh, James, we got James, James Caan got hit with the CIA heart attack gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, Polly Walnuts. Yeah. They offed him. Yep. The, it was a hit. I mean, that was how that was going to end, regardless. Uh, they found the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! dead in the sea. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. Yes, and uh, most importantly, former Prime Minister of Japan Shinzo Abe was, as the Daily Mail put it, blasted to death um, okay. by an assassin using a homemade gun. Um, so that we really, the shockwaves we've unleashed were, it was unintentional, but we've created a... Uh, a catastrophe. We certainly have. But we also made a commitment to our listeners to press forward, so we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> and do it we shall. So, welcome once again to the Raincoat Report as Hollywood continues to go hardcore. Although, I would say Hollywood went more like harder softcore today. Yeah. Wait, what are we doing today? Today, we are talking about Edward D. Wood Jr.'s uh, smash non-hit, because it didn't really get a release, uh, 1970s Take It Out and Trade. Oh, excellent. Yes, I wasn't sure which of the ones we were going to start with, so this was a surprise for me as well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is um, Ed Wood's first film in 10 years. The last one he directed was The Sinister Urge. Okay, yeah. Uh, I know he worked with uh, Apostoff, I think is his name, uh, AC something, AC Apostoff, I don't know. Um, I have a book here in front of me that would definitely tell me, but I don't have time to look on that. <laughs> so instead, I'm just going to say that, but uh, that's who did Orgy of like the Dead and some of those things. Uh, but yeah, this, this is uh, Wood's first, this is Wood's return to uh, direction after 10 years of dormancy. Uh, he hung around in the back and mostly wrote stuff for uh, Stephen Apostoloff. That's how you say it. I looked it up. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I think since you kind of uh, said this was a non-hit, I think we should take a moment to see what uh, Ed Wood himself had to say about the film. All right. That okay. sounds like a good plan. Yeah. A year ago, I made my first film in the nudie market. It was called Take It Out and Trade. And although it might be classed with an X rating... I kept away from any sexual contact simply so that I wouldn't be lying and faking such a scene. It is simply filled with pretty naked girls, which any private eye might meet. But I was able to make it real and filmed it in real localities. This one will not be turned away from from at the box office. <laughs> so, it's uh, always, he had a lot of high hopes for uh, the work he was doing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely part of Ed Wood's uh, history. Yeah, this one... Um, they, I was reading a little bit more, and the book I'm referencing is uh, Ed Wood, Nightmare of Ecstasy by Rudolph Gray. Very good book, a lot of fun stories and quotes. And uh, my other main source of uh, Ed Wood knowledge is from the, the Tim Burton film, I would say. Well, that's fair enough. Which is a great film. If you haven't seen it, you really should. You get Martin Landau as Bela Lugosi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, great great role yeah uh ed wood is a great movie i'm a big fan of the uh misfits making a movie genre yeah so uh you know it's right in my ballpark yeah definitely this one especially i think with its uh themes and just uh i think it's the first ed wood movie i've seen that's in color most of the ones i've seen i think of are from his like black and white period from the 50s right yeah uh, the colors of it and all of that and the kind of general 
uh, oddness of it make me think of an Andy Milligan film quite a bit. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, like a more saucy Andy Milligan film, less bitchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, per his wife, Kathy Wood, Take It Out and Trade was made just before they lost their house. Oh. Um, <laughs> and he edited it all in his den on a little uh, like movieola, which is like a little editing thing. He used neighbors and uh, friends for a lot of the film, and I guess just recruited otherwise. Right. Uh, but they also, as Nona Carver, who plays uh, Rumpled, Rumpledink, yes. something like that, <laughs> uh, recalls that uh, the way I understand it, Ed went out to some clubs and he met some guy who wanted to get hold of pornographic pictures. Ed says, well, instead of going out, Spending money on these things, I can make you a picture. If you got a couple thousand dollars, you can make some money, and I'll make two versions. One, you can sell to distributors, perfectly legit, and we'll get some scenes in there that we can cut out for your private collection. <laughs> so, thankfully here we have what seems to be the uncut version of the film. Yeah. Uh, we get all the uh, the stuff that was uh, the primo stuff from the private vault. <laughs> it's like when they open up the Disney vault every couple years and like re-release Aladdin. It's like when they opened up uh, Al Capone's vault. Yeah, and they found his pornography. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they opened up the Disney vault and found Walt's pornography. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> that's why they never that's why they don't ever talk about it. That's understandable. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, what I got on... Uh, Ed Wood in this film. It seems like it was made in the typical Ed Wood fashion of getting someone else to give him some money just yeah. so he could make a film. Uh, it doesn't seem like he made a ton of money off this one, which uh, also par for the course. Yeah. Uh, he was also doing this at the same time he was writing like a series of erotic novels. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And he also was uh, a little bit after this, he started doing uh, like hardcore loops which I haven't seen any of, to be honest, but uh, I was looking, there's a nice bibliography of his stuff in here, and uh, some names I noticed were uh, Renee Bond and Rick Lutz had worked okay. with him before, so I would be interested in seeing those loops. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's entertaining. Yeah, that's a nice uh, intersection, and this was made in 1970, so it was kind of as uh, it was moving from sexploitation to hardcore, but this is, like you said at the beginning, mostly softcore. Right. Um, but it's a fun little film. I think our listeners will enjoy hearing the tale of Mac McGregor and the search for uh, some rich girl. Yeah. Shirley Riley. Shirley Riley. That, sounds, sounds like that a, runaway. Sounds like a book. Uh, yeah, this is a film... Of uh, lots of cutaways to random things, mm -hmm. it's it seems like there's kind of just a a splicing uh, explosion that happened in the editing room. Yes, and that's another thing from Ed Wood is that seems the Ed Wood the film that seems to be hold true is that uh, he would just look at stock footage and think about what he could do with it, and then yeah. just kind of go with it. Um, and that seems what he did. It's kind of a proto Carlos Tobolina sort of thing. Yeah, there's. Uh, it, it looks like there was just a lot of time spent uh, filming women walk up and down stairs naked, and yeah. uh, sitting on couches together, and a few uh, male female rolls in the hay that are mostly just rolling. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that's just cut in. Sometimes at points where like it. Tone it like uh, timing wise makes sense, and sometimes not really. Um, it's quite a uh, ride to go on. Yeah, it's fun to think of him just doing all that cutting and splicing just in his den. Yeah, there's a lot of it, and I assume he did most of it himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he went, he went ham. There's so much stuff just cut in and tossed about. It's a very, he's a film of very interesting. Uh, Texture and tone, we'll yeah. say. But I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's let's get a foot of ourselves. Let's get a foot. Let's get a foot. We well, we've got a foot in the door. So while uh, they while the a list, foot in the hole is worth two in the bush. You know. So while they try to push us out, 
we're going to spend the break busting in. Yeah, we're busting. Yep. As a wise man once said, Ray Parker Jr. said, busting makes me feel good. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a busting break. And uh, when we get back, <laughs> we'll tell you how to take it out and trade. Yes. who murdered her husband and now must reside with his skeleton. The Indian girl, who tossed her lovers into the fire, but for an eternity now, must toss herself into the fires continually. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. Uh, Edward's a better director than a writer. Yeah, so that was uh, part of the synopsis of uh, Orgy of the Dead. Yeah, I hit on the main... I think focus of the film, which is covered in about a paragraph. Yes. Versus the three or four paragraphs about the mountain road and the storm <laughs> uh, that we didn't record. <laughs> yes. Uh, Orgy of the Dead. I've seen it before. There's not a whole lot to it. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But uh, I'm going to check it out one of these days. We're all going to check it out one of these days. Yes. That's one thing that's certain. We're all going to check it out one of these days. One day we're all going to check out. Even the James Cons of the world have to go sometimes. <laughs> well, uh, that was dark. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so Take It Out and Trade opens with a bunch of shots of the city. Uh, we get a voiceover from uh, our protagonist here. Yep, Mac McGregor. Yes. Uh, McGregor says, This has always been my kind of town. Rugged, powerful, big, mighty, sprawling, fog, smog, and a good quantity of consumed drugs. A real mess. A million and one-half stories motivated by every sundown. Most harboring some kind of sexual implication. Show me a person, man or woman, who can say sex doesn't enter their minds more than they care to admit, and I'll show you a dead human. <laughs> So we get a bunch of shots of people dressing and walking around naked, a uh, random B-roll of stuff. Uh, we get this basically throughout the whole movie at various times. Yeah, there's a lot of B-roll of airplanes. <laughs> there's a lot of off, that, yeah. Taking off, uh, there's a lot of down. There are more vacations in this film than perhaps any other film. There are more vacations in this film than in the entire National Lampoon series. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we get some on-screen credits as a woman is looking at her tits in the mirror and starts to fill in her uh, nipple skin with lipstick. Yeah. Uh, she uh, lipsticks a sunburst around her pubes and uh, leaves some lipstick dots and lines on her ass. We hear McGregor again. Sex, that's where I come in. Dead or alive, sex is always in need of my service. We're being uh, presented at this point with our protagonist mm -hmm. he says uh, that this is a case from the many in my files the files of mac mcgregor private eye for i am the chaser yeah. and he laughs <laughs> he likes uh trans girls oh, oh yeah a little too much <laughs> being weird about it you you know yeah 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 that's what they call them they call them chasers i didn't know about that well that's what i'm here to educate you <laughs> We cut to a guy showing up at a house. He says, this must be the place, and the woman greeting him confirms it is. This is Madam Penny's calling home service, as he describes it. This is uh, a whorehouse. Yeah, it's a bordello. It's a house of ill repute, I think is what the uh, IMDb description calls it. <laughs> okay, that, that makes sense. We see a woman answering the phone, and she talks to someone... Uh, they want to talk to Shirley. Uh, she is upstairs having a roll in the hay with a customer, as she does throughout the film. Lots of rolling. There's a lot of rolling. A lot of stepping. 
Uh, we cut to the couch where two of the girls are making out, and two women descend the steps, uh, including Shirley. Yes. This is footage we see repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It adds a very like psychedelic effect to the whole film, <laughs> Yes, uh, which is kind of cool. Shirley seems to be a bit full of herself. She takes the phone from the woman who answered it. The narrator asks where Shirley came from. What was her life before her entrance to Madame Penny's? We cut back to McGregor's office with a cardboard sign on the wall written with crayon or marker with his hours. He answers the phone, and we see a woman talking to him. Uh, McGregor is facing away from the camera, so the scene seems very overdubbed. Um, at first, their conversation seems uh, disjointed, like maybe they're having different conversations. Yes. But ultimately, things kind of get back on track, and we learn that this is the Riley family calling for his help. So he heads over, uh, but in doing so, he pulls the cardboard sign off the wall to reveal a sign underneath that says, Gentlemen Restrooms. Yeah. And he walks off to a flushing sound. Yeah, there are quite a few, like, sight gags like that that stand in for, uh, like, I guess, genuine jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that she said she was going to give him an address or a phone number or something, and she he does not get any of that information. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Uh, so we get some shots of McGregor walking around outside for a bit, which we get a lot of. Um, and then we see him at the Riley house. I did note that this house looks a lot like Madam Penny's house. And maybe the same house. I think, yeah. They said they used... They didn't use his house to film it. I think they might have used, like, maybe the guy whose money they were using to produce its house. Right. Um, they just call it, like... A, Nona Carver just calls it, like, some big house. So I don't have, like, any specific details. Right. The Rileys offer him a drink, and we get some cutaways to flashes of sex, as we do throughout the film, mm -hmm. uh, as the parents talk about their daughter being an adult, but not knowing where she is at this point. McGregor asks for a list of her friends, and the dad says that we've already contacted all of her friends and all of their relatives. <laughs> McGregor asks if there have been any changes around her lately, and uh, apparently she's been reading about hippies and may have run off with them. Yeah, and there's a guy that comes into the building earlier, and I made a note that says, here comes Charlie Manson. So, <laughs> yeah, she's run off to join the, the Manson family. Yes. Yeah. So, Mom is a little more uh, skeptical about her running off, asking why she would have run off with those type of people. She mentions that they would never allow her to associate with anyone below her station in life. Yeah. It's funny that the dad seems to be a lot more open here. He's like, well, she's an adult and she can live her own life. <laughs> they uh, hand him a photo and McGregor mentions he hopes she's that beautiful when he finds her. I don't know what that means unless he's going to expect him to find a corpse at this point, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess anything could happen with hippies. As they're talking, the parents explain that they didn't go to the police to avoid publicity. McGregor says that he charges 200 a day plus expenses, which is important. Mm -hmm. uh, McGregor heads off for what he calls a vacation and notes that he'll use his credit card and Papa will pay for it later. Yeah, he's never getting paid. <laughs> no. That was the conclusion I made instantly. Uh, we get lots of footage of planes, uh, mostly on the ground, but then some of them taking off. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of cutaways to random naked women. We see McGregor looking through a bush and uh, looking at a woman who's sitting with her legs crossed, topless. Mm -hmm. uh, they appear to be in very different locations. Uh, yeah, she is, I think it's like an, she's supposed to be like an Indian woman. Uh, maybe. I think she has, she's doing kind of like a yoga pose and has yeah. like a red dot on her head or the, the bindi. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Shouldn't call it the red dot. It's got a name. <laughs> I'm going to be culturally sensitive from now on. Except to Italians, Polish, Irish, <laughs> the Dutch, the British, uh, Czechs, Ukrainians, Russians. Uh, no, Are you I like, just listing all white people? I'm listing all the other white people. Americans. Uh, I'll, I'll name one. I don't like. I don't like Brazil. Okay. <laughs> Mostly, they're, I guess, their president. I don't like their president. 
Well, that's fair. Yeah, he seems... That's not necessarily racist if you just don't like the president. Yeah. But those are the people I'm going to disrespect from now on. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And that's also kind of a list of everywhere he goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he identifies everywhere he goes by posters. Yes, there are posters on the wall on every basic shot when he's taking a vacation, which this is, to be clear, not the last vacation he takes in this film. No. Um, but uh, yes, posters on the wall to tell where they are, just in case you don't know. Uh, he mentions he had a layover in Canada, and we see him looking up from the floor at a big old pair of tits. Mr. Riley looks at a postcard he got in the mail and tells his wife, that uh, McGregor says things are looking up as we cut back to McGregor looking up at those tits. Uh, in narration, he says, girls, 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 I really love girls. He sure does. We see another plane shot and then him using a lens to watch a couple together from around the corner. Uh, the woman is in her panties and makes out with her shirtless boyfriend. After a bit, they grind against each other for a bit. Some very insane off-kilter organ music that happens here. Yeah. I like that a lot of the music does just seem to kind of be like standard library like uh, tracks. Like you get a lot of stuff that just sounds like it's from like Dragnet and stuff like that as far as the music goes, like little obvious like stings. Yeah. But then sometimes it gets real out there and psychedelic and quite a bit odd. Yeah. There's some hard pumping between the couple after a while, but we definitely see them never get bottomless. Uh, we see McGregor sneak away as the couple makes out more, and then we see another plane landing. McGregor says there's nothing like being home. We see him wandering around, looking over fences and hiding behind walls, being a real creep. We see him peeking from behind a wall outside, and he's watching a couple of women make out and roll around uh, inside. Although my nose always twitched at the smell of her alley, I figured sleazy mazy Rumpledink was a good place to start. We see him creeping around alleys, and then we cut to an older woman who is uh, sitting on a bed. The woman seems to be cooking up some horse, uh, and there's a guy next to her holding a bottle of booze. Yes. There's a sign on the wall that reads, uh, no credit, but it's spelled C-R-E-I-D-T. Yeah. There's a knock at the door, and the woman yells back and forth with the person on the other side of the door, and we find out that this is uh, Maisie, and uh, McGregor is the one knocking at the door. She lets McGregor in, and McGregor tells Harry, the guy on the bed, to get lost, and he does. He asks Maisie if she knows Shirley Riley. She says it sounds like a song name. So McGregor oh, yes. launches into thrashing and hitting her yeah. like a madman. I said a book name earlier, but yes, a song name. Uh, yeah, you can't even tie off in peace anymore <laughs> uh, in this neighborhood. But yeah, he just beats the shit out of her. Apparently, her screaming sounded so real that someone called the cops. <laughs> and they showed up. Um, which is pretty good. Excellent. I guess no one got in trouble. They're just like, we're just making a fuck film, officer. Yeah. McGregor then finds a random needle and says he's going to smash it against the wall if she doesn't tell him, and she pleads with him because she can't afford another needle and has to work later. She should start taking credit. <laughs> Maybe it would uh, it would work out for her. She'd really expand her business. Most people don't carry cash nowadays. So McGregor says, now you, and I couldn't make out what word he said here, but he says, a thunder and lightning storm, baby, and he yells at her more. Yes. Uh, she admits to knowing Shirley was with Alicia, the drag queen, so perhaps uh, Alicia knows where Shirley is. McGregor says, happy holidays on the way out, and then um, Maisie ties off. We cut to McGregor, who's sitting at a table drinking high life. Uh, he's really living the raincoat report life. Yeah, he's just enjoying a, like a Miller and a smoke. I couldn't figure out what brand of cigarettes he smokes. Right. But, uh, yeah, that really is the raincoat life. <laughs> he's writing in a booklet, and in narration he says that Papa can afford another trip. So we see a sign that says Air France. 
and then see him watching a girl who was uh, drawing on herself with lipstick in the opening credits. Yep. Uh, he's watching from behind a plant that might be in the same room in this time, uh, which it usually definitely isn't. Yeah. Um, then we see him watching a girl in the shower from definitely another room. Uh, we get a kaleidoscopic shot of a poster that says Germany <laughs> and a few others. Yeah, there's one with, uh, I think it's Rome, and there's a guy who wanders around with a beret drinking wine. <laughs> isn't really, what, I don't think that's what Romans do. Uh, if you're Roman, write in. <laughs> Romans, Italians. Yeah. Don't write in. <laughs> No, we do have a, a great Italian fan base, and I'll, I love you. <laughs> he said I could do it. He said it was fine. Okay. I, I apologized, and he said I could do as many accents as I wanted. <laughs> we see Mr. Riley reading a postcard. A hot tip. I wonder what he means by that. Cut to McGregor licking and sucking on a bare woman's nipple. We get another shot of a plane. No matter how much a guy travels, it's always good to get home, McGregor says. We see more of Shirley at Madame Penny's. Uh, she's rolling in the bed with another client. McGregor, we get a bunch of shots of him walking around random places in the city. We cut to Alicia at their home. Yes. So Alicia is played by Edward D. Wood Jr. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> in a yeah. wonderful role. Yeah, just a great a great role, Alicia in her green polyester sweater. So, Ed Wood was famously a transvestite. Yes. And uh, this is an opportunity for him to play that role. Uh, of course, he had also been in the film Glenn or Glenda. Yes, that's a great film as well. Uh, but here, Ed is uh, playing Alicia. Ed is playing Alicia and... Alicia is after he had been drinking for about 30 years. So <laughs> uh, he kind of has like sort of like bloated Danzig kind of chin okay. going on. Um, but you know what? Still has the figure to pull off that dress. Well, and that's the important part, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, Ed Wood is a Andy Milligan character in this movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so we cut to Alicia at their home. McGregor walks in and Alicia offers McGregor some whiskey, noting that McGregor's never turned down good whiskey. So McGregor drinks it and then coughs, saying that he thought that they said that it was good whiskey. And Alicia says, only the best for their friends and pours another. Yeah. Straight out of her own glass. Very, uh. Very raincoat report. Very generous. Yeah. Very raincoat <laughs> report. Well, you know, share and Sharon Brown. Share and share alike. If there's one thing I want our audience to remember from listening this up to this episode, it's uh, always be willing to share some brown. Yeah. If it's brown, pass it around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's um, a classic. McGregor asks Alicia about Shirley. Alicia says McGregor always was a nasty man. Uh, McGregor gets them back on track, noting that Shirley lived with Alicia, and Alicia finally admits it. We get more cuts away to naked Shirley. There's also a shot that starts to appear in this that comes throughout as a shot of like a window where there's lightning, but the lightning is clearly coming from inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happens a few more times, but it's it's a notable little thing. It made me laugh. <laughs> Alicia complains about their nylons, and finally, Alicia tells McGregor that Shirley was gone. She was a social climber and moved on to the next person. She would uh, be friends with somebody, use them, and then climb her way up the social ladder, so to speak. It's kind of what her mom taught her, it seems like, though, too. Yeah, she was talking about people's stations in life and stuff, yeah. so it all tracks. But... Shirley's an independent person, so she wanted to start from the bottom and grind her way up. That's true. That's a little bit more respectable in its way. Yeah. She's still using people, but, you know, she's building her uh, 
she's building her girl boss story for when she's finally up there. Yeah. And it sound it all sounds good on twenty twenty, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's got a life's a rehearsal for being on twenty twenty. <laughs> Well, Alicia says that they don't know where Shirley is, and then Shirley, and then um, and then McGregor says, "I bet I can make you eat those rubber falsies before you could scream one high note." McGregor leaps off a screen, and we hear crashing and see some of those uh, fake thunder flashes that yes, you're yeah. talking about. Uh, then we cut to him uh, yelling in Alicia's face. He just beats the hell out of everyone he comes across. <laughs> yeah. He's a great character. Alicia says that Shirley didn't want anyone to know where she is and says that they kicked Shirley out when uh, they found out that she was doing some hard drugs. Alicia finally tells McGregor that Shirley was with Paul and Henry last that she heard. So Alicia says that Paul and Henry are nice boys and McGregor yells, If you like boys... Then snatches Alicia's wig off as he leaves. Yes. Stopping to ask why Alicia doesn't just dye their hair uh, because they have long, dark hair. Yeah. Also adds to the Danzig appearance. (laughs) Alicia says, bitch, as McGregor leaves and then says that they'll get even and then places a phone call. Uh, We find out that Alicia has called Paul. And uh, told him that McGregor was looking for Shirley. McGregor, meanwhile, says, I figured Mr. Riley's pocketbook could stand for another little trip. <laughs> so Grease, as indicated by the poster on the wall, uh, we see a woman there with her date. She slaps her date and then uh, walks over to McGregor's table. Uh, we see Mrs. Riley reading a postcard where she's, she reads out, following a new lead. Um, yeah. McGregor says, sometimes the planes ended up going the wrong way. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but McGregor says, what the hell? I was having a ball, a repeat ball. More shots of McGregor peeping on couples. Mrs. Riley reads, Eureka! Hot new angle. And then we cut to shots of a woman in panties walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, more planes. Mr. Yeah. Riley reads, another card from McGregor. He says, everything here is all wet. And then we see McGregor fully dressed in the shower with a woman. Yeah, there was, I think, one earlier where he's like, he's falling in a hot tip. And then it cuts to uh, McGregor just like sucking on someone woman's nipple. Yeah. 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 There's some good, I guess. Those are good gags. I like them. I love Ed Wood. I'm not afraid to say it. (laughs) Mr. Riley reads another card and says, Being led up a blind alley. Then he stops and says, And so am I. More McGregor peeping, watching a topless woman put on a transparent nightie. But they turn around, and it's actually a man. And McGregor reacts in total disgust. Uh... This gets him, apparently, to return to L.A. He's seen enough of the world, I suppose. (laughs) McGregor says, My expense account was growing by leaps and bounds, and so was my love life. It was time to go back to work, for I am the chaser. (laughs) Uh, We see a fat dude bouncing a woman up and down on a saddle. Uh, More cutaways to random women. (laughs) We cut to uh, Madam Penny's place, and we see some women looking at each other, others cuddling. Um, They're otherwise just frolicking around naked. Uh, There's some pool playing with some of the girls. But they're definitely going to ruin the felt if they keep climbing up and going down on each other on the table. No, it's fine. They've got it insured. They got it at Dick's. They got a warranty. (laughs) Uh, These various shots go on for a long time. Uh, There's a woman that appears repeatedly that appeared from the beginning of the movie, really, where she has her hands kind of tinted together and she's flexing her pecs to make her tits bounce up and down. Yeah, there's repeat shots of the same black woman just kneeling next to a table. Yes, there's a lot of that. (laughs) Everything is very, very red. Uh, there's some dudes who finally show up and they start to play pool and enjoy the women for a few minutes, but then the women return to making out and sucking on each other's nipples, and, uh, then the guys appear making out with the ladies again. 
McGregor says, with all the friends she had, she didn't need enemies. So McGregor moves on to visit Paul and Henry's. They tell McGregor immediately that she's not there, but McGregor tells them to spill their guts. Paul and Henry say that Shirley was a witch. They don't really elaborate on that, even when pressed by McGregor. Then a woman walks out of the other room, uh, topless uh, in a transparent nighty and some panties. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Paul and Henry's house mother, as they describe her, Ruth. Yes. Most of this movie is this guy just harassing queer people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> yeah, but um, I love this couple. They're great. She says that, uh, Ruth says that she may be able to help. So McGregor walks to Ruth and she tells McGregor to kiss her. She says, what have you got to lose? So uh, McGregor and Ruth make out and Paul and Henry look on in disgust. After a minute, McGregor and Ruth disappear into another room. So then Paul picks up the phone to call Shirley. The phone rings repeatedly at Madame Penny's as the ladies yell at each other, but finally uh, one of the ladies, Stella, answers the phone and takes a message to call Paul for Shirley. We see Shirley in bed with a guy rolling around under the covers frantically. Shirley then tapes this message onto the door of Shirley's room. We go back to Paul and Henry, who note that now Ruth's been in there with McGregor for over an hour. Henry says McGregor isn't as young as he used to be. We cut to uh, Ruth's room, and she's in bed naked with McGregor. He's seemingly asleep as she's smoking a cigarette and running her fingers across his chest. She leans in and rubs her tits on his face. Paul and Henry apparently can hear his snoring from the other room. Ruth kisses McGregor, and he finally responds, kissing her back, and they make out in the bed for a bit. He pulls off her panties, and they grind a bit more. We cut to later, and Ruth asks what McGregor wanted earlier. He says he's looking for Shirley Riley. She asks if he's a cop, and he says sort of, but he's not the fuzz. He explains her mama and papa want to know where she's at, but he assures her that she's not in trouble. Ruth asks if he knows where Madame Penny's is, and he does. She explains if they knew who he was, he'd get a face full of buckshot as soon as he showed up. He goes to head out, and she asks if it's always business with him, and he says yes. She tells him to go to hell, and he hands her her panties and tells her to hold on to them for him, and that he'll be back. Mm -hmm. We cut back to Madam Penny's, and a guy's making out with a woman on the couch. Uh, Another woman walks in with an umbrella, and the guy says, She's gotta be kidding. The lady that he's with says, Don't mind her. Penny throws the message that she got in the fireplace, and uh, picks up the phone and talks to Henry on the other end, uh, because Paul wasn't there. We don't really hear the conversation, but apparently she is told about McGregor coming, so... Uh, The women at Madame Penny's are chattering and rubbing each other on the couch. Shirley then tells the other women that she needs help and may have troubles. She convinces the group that they could all stand to not be investigated by some private investigator. She leans in and tells the group her plan in like three seconds, which we don't hear. Uh, but the plan seems a little bit more elaborate than what that time would have allowed. No. Uh, Then the doorbell rings. Shirley leaves the room, and one of the girls tells the others to get the ropes from the closet so they can tie him up. (laughs) So the girls let McGregor into the house, and the woman who greets him chats with him for a bit. One woman says she and her partner there are two for the price of one. McGregor mentions that Alicia told him about the place and asked them if they know about Shirley. The woman there takes him into a bedroom upstairs, and there there are two women on the bed, one with a whip. And the other one's like in a noose? Something like that, so yeah. It's like a weird fake hanging setup, to I think, just to throw him off balance. So McGregor All walks in. part of the plan. Yeah, because as soon as he walks in, he's ambushed by the women who throw him down on the bed. Uh, One of the women gets his gun that he's carrying around, uh, and she's pointing it at him. Uh, The women continue to push him down and try to undress him, and this goes on for a while. Uh, They finally get him down to his undies and tie him up with the whip, uh, leaving him loosely hogtied. 
the women continue to swarm around and bounce on him and fondle each other in a sea of nudity, and this continues for quite a while. Mm-hmm. We cut to Shirley in bed with a guy rolling around, as we've seen many times in this film. She stops, and her guy asks if she's going already, and she says she'll be back. She'll send in one of her friends with a pipe for him. Probably like an opium pipe. Yeah. She talks to another woman downstairs and uh, tells her to bring him a pipe. So we cut to Shirley putting on a black robe, and she walks into the room where McGregor's tied up. A woman with a knife is sitting next to him, and Shirley tells the woman with the knife to beat it, and the woman seems bummed out that she couldn't cut him up. Yeah, that's a shame. She reluctantly puts up her knife, asking, maybe later? And Shirley says maybe as the woman slinks off. (laughs) McGregor bounces up and down on the bed as Shirley dances around, miming with the noose in the room. Shirley untapes McGregor's mouth. That's a hell of a way to treat a client. She tells him she's going to make him drink something that'll make him see pink clouds and then send him home. She mentions she did a lot of bad things in the past few months and asks which of those things he's after her for. McGregor explains that he was hired by her parents. She's surprised by this and after a discussion seems convinced. She unties the whip from around his hands and feet. She then pats his belly and asks him if uh, they gave him a rough time, and he says they sure as hell did. We cut to McGregor bringing Shirley home to her parents. She tells them to pay the man so she can get back, Uh, but her parents don't want her to leave. McGregor says that she has her own life. Shirley says, and what a life it is, as she takes off her coat to expose herself, naked save for her panties underneath. Mm -hmm. McGregor says, all's well that ends well. He asked the parents to get paid, and the parents say that he was supposed to bring her there and leave her there, not take her there for a short visit and leave. This isn't his choice. Yeah, at this point, yeah. He did his job. He found her and brought her to the parents. Yes, pay the man. He's He can't make her stay. So they refuse to pay. And then finally McGregor says, Then I'm going to take it out and trade. And he picks up Shirley and carries her off. Yep. And she cheers as uh, we fade to black and the credits play over the girls at Madame Perry's just dancing around. Mm-hmm. As you, there, I wouldn't expect any other ending. <laughs> I think my favorite part was the staircase that was also a giant xylophone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would just make all kinds of crazy sounds when they go up and down it. I it. <laughs> well, that was Take It Out in Trade, so... We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to give our final thoughts on Take It Out and Trade. So why don't you? You know that one? No. It's a hit. I can't help you. Okay. <laughs> you should know it. Um, well, everyone loves the Raincoat Report and its patented Raincoat Review. So why don't you? Okay. Uh, man, I thought this movie was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a lot more delirious than I expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, like you know, Ed Wood's kind of like the standard for good bad filmmaking, but uh, this feels pretty different from his other stuff. Like uh, something like Night of the Ghouls is a lot more static. Yeah. As yeah. far as uh, like what's going on on screen, but this has so many cuts into it and just like a ton of overlapping images and things like that, that it kind of 
takes on like a more delirious uh kind of like outsider quality to it yeah yeah um like i said at the beginning it kind of reminds me of like andy milligan or maybe a little bit jess franco in the way it gets a bit psychedelic at times sure which doesn't seem entirely intentional i know he like he's old man at that point he wasn't really tapped into i think probably the the 60s freakouts no probably not he was just blacking out every night (laughs) watching f troop or something i don't fucking know uh oh i think he also died larry larry storch larry storch yeah he was an f troop he might have died years ago i saw a post that said rest in peace larry storch so i just assumed he also died but i didn't see any news about it okay it might have just been like you know like a tribute it's like (laughs) let us remember larry storch from F Troop. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't really have anything to do with this movie. This movie is a wild ride from start to finish. Uh, at the beginning, I said it kind of reminded me of like a proto Tobolina film. Uh, definitely something like Jungle Blue and it's kind of travelogue elements, though it's a lot cheaper. But I could the see same, that. But the same general effect is used of uh, just a lot of uh, footage of airplanes taking off and setting down. <laughs> It'll Jet setting is what we call that. Yes. <laughs> um, it reminds me of just what a good time things could be. She Freak. Okay, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of She Freak with just the amount of uh, industrial training film footage that we get. <laughs> uh, Less uh, Ferris wheels and tents. Yeah, but more like the workings of like the plane cargo crew and you know like traffic controller air traffic controllers and such and the uh national poster industry mm-hmm. yeah uh the, uh the the industry that makes posters that say things like france and germany on them yeah the fine arts it's got a lot going for it it's a very colorful bizarre film that uh it's kind of invites you to come along experience it i can't think of too much else i would really compare this to and i don't have to it stands alone (laughs) (laughs) but uh i think for like an older director kind of resorting to doing pornography to get work i think you could probably find a lot worse yeah for sure and i think that if he had maybe stuck around a little bit there would probably be a nice handful of uh Solid Ed Wood softcore films to uh, to to gaze upon. Perhaps but, uh, I think this is one of the few he did. I'm not really. I know he died in '78, so he wasn't alive much longer after this. Yeah, but I think there were more. maybe a couple. Well, we'll have to look at them. We'll figure it out. I have this book, and I don't. I just pretend I've read it. <laughs> I just pretend I know it's between the covers. Uh, I would give this one a three and a half overall. I think. Anyone who likes them weird will appreciate this. Yeah. Like if you're looking for a, a good hardcore sex romp, you'd look elsewhere. Right. Um, so understandably, it's not going to be to everyone's taste, but it definitely suits mine. What What say you? Well, I also enjoyed this movie. I saw it a few years ago, and I recall uh, thinking that it was a little interesting, but also a little boring. Mm-hmm. But rewatching it, I had, I think, a lot more fun with it this time. Yeah. I really lost myself in the Ed Wood of it all. Yeah, you definitely can allow yourself to just sink into it. Um, I love that Ed Wood is big on snappy dialogue, and that's always been like one of the things in his movies. Yeah. was a, a lot of uh, witty, wisecracking characters, um, and it does... It does have that Andy Milligan feel to it in a sense. And I mean, that that's kind of a, a quality of his writing, although usually his characters are screaming at each other. Yeah. Um, it, and that's not really the case here, although McGregor... Uh, he is quick to violence. Yes, he <laughs> is very quick to violence and screaming in people's faces. Yeah. Um, I love that he goes on no less than five or six vacations in this film. Yeah. And uh, it was all to peep on women. Yeah. What else would you do as a, on vacation as a private eye? I guess that's true. And uh, theoretically, he was going to get paid back for it, and he wasn't. However, he in taking it out, it out in trade, as he did, 
I think overall he won in the exchange. Yeah, he definitely got his money's worth. And he got to go on all those vacations anyway. Yeah. You know, you can't experience it's more important than money. That's what they say. I've never experienced anything, though, so I don't yeah. know for sure. That's why I just sit here in silent judgment of other countries <laughs> I can't afford to go to. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of wild editing here, but that kind of helps, as you said, with kind of the weird psychedelic tone of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just thought it was enjoyable from start to finish. It's fun to watch. I would also give it three and a half stars. I think that it's weird in the best ways, and... Even though if you're looking for a conventional plot with a satisfying resolution, you're probably not going to really get it here. What you will get is an experience. I liked when he took it out in trade. Well, yes. I mean, it was a fun ending to the movie. I was satisfied. Fair enough. I I was satisfied, too. Yeah. I was thinking just more in uh, in the ways of a conventional film. Uh, yeah. The ending wasn't quite uh, the sort of resolution you'd expect. <laughs> Suppose not. <laughs> but uh, it was a delightful film, and I'm happy to have watched it again. Me too, and that's all I can really say. Well, what I'll say is that if you like our podcast, you should follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. And uh, if you want to give us some money, help us keep this thing going, patreon.com slash raincoatreport. You can follow us there. You will get two bonus episodes every month. Uh, You'll get early access to our normal episodes, and uh, they're ad-free for just five bucks a month. Yes. And uh, we're doing some fun things there. This Friday, we're going to be... We're going to enter the doghouse. <laughs> We're entering the doghouse this Friday, so look forward to that. And next week, we're going to continue our journey into the heart of Hollywood. Hopefully, nobody else has to die for this, but uh, we'll see what happens. I think the, the stack is just going to grow. Uh, well, I'm sorry for the body count, Hollywood. We tried, but uh, these truths can't be untold yeah they can't be untold they can't be denied you just have to accept the new reality and accept that you shouldn't forget your raincoat yes